Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 23 of the Australian Hiker podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing hiking etiquette or the rules of the road. These rules tend to be unwritten and usually have to be picked up as you learn on the trail. So hopefully you're hiking with people that are following these rules and will help you to learn as well. We hope you enjoy today's episode. In every activity or pastime, uh, there's always a set of rules that help us to navigate the acceptable social standards that allow us to stay safe and provide us an environment that allows both you and others to enjoy themselves. These rules are often referred to as etiquette. Now, the Oxford Dictionary defines etiquette as the rules of polite or correct behaviour in a society. And a good example of this that most people can relate to is uh, learning how to drive a car. And even if, if you've never learned how to drive a car or you're a bit too young at this stage, you're very much aware that um, while the rules of the road may vary from country to country, most of us can remember learning to drive and being taught these road rules by instructors, parents or older siblings. In addition, there's usually some form of printed book or if you're a bit younger, the internet that we could study to help us to learn these rules uh, to ensure that we knew what we were doing and help us to become safe drivers. Hiking's no different. Uh, There is a set of rules or etiquette, unwritten in most cases, which help us to not only be safe hikers, but also ensure that we don't annoy everyone else on the trail. Unfortunately, unlike driving, there is no formal structure unless you learnt your skills uh, in organisations such as the Scouts. In most cases, they are something that we pick up when hiking in groups and observing others. But if you hike alone and don't tend to interact with other hikers, where do you learn the road rules for hiking? We've come up with a list of commonly accepted hiking rules and etiquette uh, that will help all of us to become better and more courteous hikers. Now, I must, I must be honest up here, uh, honest up front here. While I tend to try and be courteous on the trail and uh, follow these rules, I don't always remember. So, I mean... Not That's a- why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so not, not everyone's perfect in these, but uh, it's being conscious as, as much as you can. Now, first thing we're going to look at is etiquette on the trail. Now, if you've uh, on a walk on a shared trail, which most of the trails that um, you'll often 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 the larger trails will often be shared trails, which means there are often bikes, hikers, and occasionally hawk, horses on trails as well. And there always tends to be a hierarchy and right of way about who who gets to go first. So, when you're talking about hikers and bikes, hikers have right of way. But having said that, sometimes it just makes sense just to step aside and let the cyclist go past you. In January of this year, I walked on the uh, uh, Centenary Trail 
Um, it was a shared path between cyclists and uh, walkers. Uh, and I had one area in particular where I had about eight or nine cyclists come through. And while I, while I had right of way, I certainly wasn't going to sit there and block the trail for half an hour and not let these guys go past. It just made sense for me to step off the trail and let them go. Hikers versus horses, not as common uh, in many parts of Australia, uh, certainly more common uh, in uh, the US, but we do have a number of shared trails that exist. And in this case, horses have right away. Horses can be a bit skittish. Uh, and when you think about uh, from a horse's perspective, where a human being with these large objects like packs and hiking poles that we're waving around, and from a horse's perspective, we can prevent a, present a scary sight. So if possible, give horse riders space. Uh, and ideally, if you can, move to the downhill side of the trail because you'll be less threatening. Um, I'd also recommend if you come across horses uh, is just to slow your pace or even stop until they go past. Now, hikers versus hikers. Um, in this case here, hikers going uphill have right of way. Uh, and for many of you, you're, you're, if you're on a mission or you're trying to slog your way up a particularly steep hill and you've got a slightly heavy pack, it's difficult than, than it is coming downhill. And from personal experience, this is probably one of the most least understood of the unwritten rules. So don't be surprised if people don't give right away. I typically find that majority of people I come across won't give, uh, give, uh, give way when coming downhill to hikers that are coming uphill. Uh, and as I said, these are unwritten rules. Uh, people just don't tend to realize, uh, but it just certainly helps. I think that's a pretty obvious one, but I agree with Tim. Not everybody really um, appreciates it. But when you think about it in terms of uh, common sense, it, you know, it's it's easier to pick up your momentum when you're going downhill than it is if you've got a full pack and you're trying to get uphill. So think about it in that, that kind of sense and give way to people going uphill. Um, the next uh, part of this is groups versus individuals. Now, as a general rule, the larger the group, the slower the group will go. Now, there are lots of different reasons for this. Um, but if you're in a larger group, give way to smaller groups and let people pass. Um, when we were on the overland track, we did talk to a guide who said uh, they had a really fit group of people, uh, international travellers, but they were just quite slow uh, starting and getting moving and... Uh, breaking camp and all of those sorts of things, which meant it made sense for them to let other people through. I think the other thing as well with organised groups in particular, it's very much more about the social aspect. So people will often be slower, not because they're unfitter. Um, it's just because they're often talking to each other. Uh, they're often interacting. Uh, they might be travelling at different paces as the person in front of them. So you'll find that everyone tends to slow down slightly when they're in a group, regardless of fitness level. And in Australia, keep to the left and pass on the right. Uh, that reflects the way in which we drive. We stay to the left-hand side of the road and we overtake on the right-hand side of the road. If you're in other parts of the world, um, then you need to be thinking about the side of the road on which people um, drive. And that's usually a pretty good indicator of whether to move left or to move 
right if you're overtaking. The next one relates to leave no trace and there are a bunch of uh, aspects to this. The first one is hike quietly. Um, noise is in our view pollution um, and for some reason people seem to uh, want to make lots of noise and talk quite loudly when they're on the trail. But you're in nature so you know think about the solitude that that provides. Now in episode 7, Leave Only Footsteps, we went through and discussed um, uh, the the Leave No Trace principles uh, and how to minimise your impact on other hikers um, as far as uh, uh, looking after the environment. And one of the things we identified there was it's amazing how often sound does tend to carry. Um, We often hike in um, some wilderness areas around around Canberra and um, it's a bit like being in a church where um, you know, when you're in a church, you often tend to talk a lot, much more quietly. Uh, and for us, it's the same. We tend to talk more quietly when we're in wilderness areas. Uh, so when you do come across a group uh, of people that are talking quite loudly uh, or being quite noisy, it is very noticeable. And the next item is take your rubbish with you. Pretty obvious in a, in a way, um, but incredibly important and incredibly important to be thinking about. The cleaner environment, the more enjoyable it is for everyone. So think of how you're going to do that in a safe way. Um, You do need a sturdy bag. Um, We use double Ziploc bags. Uh, They seal well, uh, but it also means that you can actually squash them down and get all the air out and make them as small as you possibly can. Uh, They're not pretty by the time you've spent, you know, six days carrying your waste, but hey, you know, it's better than leaving stuff behind. Bury your toilet waste. You don't want to see people's toilet waste and others don't want to see yours. Uh, When we're on the Lara Pinta Trail, um, there are a couple of uh, tents, uh, camping sites that, you know, were intended for our use. When we walked up there and even though we'd spent a lot of time walking and it was quite hot and we were quite exhausted, there was one site in particular that we just couldn't camp at. It was just awful in terms of the amount of exposed waste, uh, toilet paper and God forbid other things uh, that we were seeing and really, really quite unnecessary. So, you know, think about digging the hole, dig it properly Uh, dig it uh, sufficiently deep and please dig it before you need it uh, because you generally don't have enough time to do it when you're desperate. And stay on the track even if it is muddy and wet. Um, I think we've all experienced tracks and trails that in certain parts just get wider and wider and wider and wider um, as everybody tries to avoid the water, as everybody tries to avoid the the mud, um, if it's if it's not ankle deep, just walk on through it. Uh, but do your best not to make that part of the track or any part of the track wider and wider. And these these trails tend to have a name. They're, they're classed as braided trails, uh, and they become very obvious. So if you go through and have a look at the written art, written version of this uh, this podcast, we'll have some photos up showing what a braided trail looks like. Now, if you do stop and have a rest, which we all tend to at some time, um, 
most often, depending on what the trail's like, you'll often just stop on the side of the trail and have a rest where you are. Um, sometimes there are better places to take rests. If it's a narrow trail and really there's nowhere else uh, to get off, you might be better, better moving on a bit further until there's a bit of space. You don't want to be blocking the trail, particularly a busy trail when there are people trying to get through and you've got all your gear spread out in the middle of the track. Um, say hello. Uh, there's nothing worse uh, than hiking in your own thoughts, which is what I often tend to do. And without realizing it, there's another person just behind you. Um, and if you are going to say hello, do it from a bit of a distance rather than about two foot behind. It does scare the bejesus out of people, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, we've, we've jumped a few times when people have done that to us. So, yeah, just by, just by, by saying hello, letting people know they're there, uh, particularly if you're coming behind somebody, um, it makes it, uh, it just makes people a bit more... Uh, more um, uh, comfortable, I suppose, that you know, someone isn't creeping up on them, particularly if, if you are hiking at night time. Uh, and I do hike, uh, I hike up our local mountain a few times a week, and it's usually pitch black in the morning when I do it. Uh, and I always come across uh, one other hiker in particular. Now, I'm aware he's there now, uh, but uh, I've usually got a set of uh, headphones on, and I'm listening to podcasts and listening to music. And there's nothing worse than all of a sudden uh, there's a person right next to you and you haven't realised it. <laughs> so that's the real reason why your heart's racing by the time you get back. Get back. The next one is don't be creepy. This is actually for Tim, uh, not for me. Be friendly. Uh, yes, Tim, thank you. But remember sometimes people like me just don't want to talk. <laughs> If the conversation appears to be struggling, it may be because people don't want a conversation. Um, and, you know, this is something you just need to feel your way with uh, a little bit. Um, I'm reasonably friendly, I think, uh, on the trail. Um, but, you know, I'm there for a particular reason and the reason isn't uh, to talk the way I need to talk when I'm at work and doing what I need to do. Um, on the other hand, poor Tim s struggles a little bit. He tends to get a bit uh, a bit desperate for company and for conversation sometimes. Uh, and he does try to talk to people who I do need to pull him away and say, they don't want to talk to you, honey. <laughs> and, and particularly in my case here where, uh, where I'm recording a podcast, so I've actually got to uh, uh, talk to people when I have the opportunity. And uh, that's just stalking. <laughs> Um, so it's trying to it's trying to actually talk to people, build a relationship in a re relatively quick sort of time frame, and then then sort of ask them politely if they'd like to to talk for uh, on a podcast. So it's uh, it's a very condensed sort of version uh, that I probably would be doing if I wasn't actually recording a podcast. So it's a it's a skill I'm having to learn as I go. The next bit of et etiquette to think about is uh, when you're hiking as a group, you need to share the chores regardless of the group size. Uh, it's not fair for everybody else in the group to do your work. New hikers will also not learn if you do everything for them. So share the load, be part of the group, uh, and you know whether it's an informal group or whether it's a formal group, it doesn't really matter, and people will appreciate the effort that you make. I think if you're if you're hiking in a um, a particular size group, so typically uh, for us, I'm either hiking by myself or hiking with Jill. 
Um, obviously, if I'm by myself, I have to do everything. So, yeah, that's an accepted. And if you're hiking with me, you do nothing. <laughs> Certainly, there are routines and rhythms that you fall into if you're hiking uh, as, a, as a couple or as a, as a larger group that, you know, it might be that you put up the tent or that you do the cooking. And certainly when we're hiking as a couple, uh, we've got two sets of gear to go into the tent. It's often easy, easier for Jill to go through and set everything up inside the tent because there's not room for two people to do it at once. Uh, and I'll, um, I'll certainly uh, spend more focus on putting the tent up um, and, um, and looking at cooking dinner. So there tends to be rhythms and routines that you fall into. Um, if, um, if you're using tracking poles, you need to be conscious of other hikers. Um, so if you're carrying poles in your hands, hold the sharp ends forward. Uh, this will also mean that the sharp ends are at the lowest point. Uh, and, and this is because it's easy to see the front of your poles, but you don't know what's happening behind you. Now, I must admit, I, I can travel a bit too close to Jill when, uh, when I'm uh, 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 walking behind her. And sometimes I've just gone into my my own mind and I'm you know the next thing I've realized I've walked into her hiking poles because I've gotten a bit close yeah and I usually not off not always but usually have them pointed backwards which means he gets poked in the belly with my poles but you know that might be a little bit deliberate as well um, be conscious when other overtaking or being overtaken particularly if you are using hiking poles as they take up a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, width on the trail um, so if you think about you walking down the street but then you add a pack on which tends to make you bulkier again uh, and now you've got hiking poles sticking out to the side so you end up taking quite a lot of space and when the trail is a bit narrow you find that there's not a lot of space particularly if you've got two people traveling in opposite directions who are both using hiking poles so you may find that you have to actually get out of the stride that you're, you're into with your poles uh, hold them aside as you go past and get back into the routine and rhythm again. One other comment I would make as well as in relation to overtaking on the trail is um, you need to go through and maintain your speed. Uh, now, I typically will have a particular speed um, and it's not unusual for me to actually speed up going uphill. Uh, but you know, if someone is trying to overtake you, it's nothing worse than you picking up pace, which forces them to pick up pace. So maintain your speed, let them get past. Again, having said that, though, if you do overtake someone, don't overtake them and then slow down in front of them. Uh, so if you both maintain the speed that you're comfortable at, eventually one person's going to take the other or you'll, you'll fall into a rhythm and a routine. And you can sometimes see this quite commonly on the road when you are driving. Um, I'm sure lots of people have experienced this. You come up behind someone in a dual lane highway and then you figure, okay, well, you know, time to overtake. And you pull out to overtake, then suddenly they're doing the same speed as you and you really have to put your foot down to get past them. When if they'd maintained their speed, you would have been able to move past them quite easily. So the same thing actually happens when you're hiking. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's just a, a you know natural phenomenon of human nature or something like that. I don't know, but it can be um, a bit frustrating when you're on the road. But it also makes it pretty tough when you're actually hiking.
Now we're going to go through and look at um, etiquette in relation to cabin, cabins, shelters and campsites. Um, so now we've, we've finished hiking for the day, uh, we're getting ready to either set up a tent or we're staying at a shelter or a cabin and there's a different set of rules or an additional set of rules that apply. First one is don't take up excessive space and this is regardless of whether you're in a tent, a cabin or a, uh, or a shelter. Uh, many sites will have limited capacity to pitch tents, so don't hog the space. Tent platforms are usually made for multiple tents, so using all, one all by yourself is fine if there's hardly anyone there, but if it's a busy day or a busy trail, be considerate of others in your usage of space. Now, sometimes this can be a little bit difficult. When we were on the overland track, uh, some of the tent platforms were rather creatively shaped, uh, and it meant that our tent didn't quite, it was a little bit sort of longer than most, uh, uh, a little bit wider than, than others, and it didn't quite fit to one side of an oddly shaped tent platform, which meant that we did have to tend to be, you know, towards the middle, um, and that would have made it difficult for another tent to be camped uh, alongside us. Um don't camp right next to other hikers unless there is no choice. Now, again, if you're if you're camping on tent platforms and that's the only option, um, you might not have a choice. But you know, if there's four or five tent platforms, don't go and you know, there's only two tents. Don't go and sit up right next to somebody else. Or, or is what happens when we camp at Cotter Flat in Namaji National Park? Um, we tend to look for a site, pick our site, and then uh, two or three tents arrive and they camp quite nearby and we think you know there's a pretty big space here and there's a lot of opportunity to camp somewhere else um i can't believe that we are such fantastic company that they want to be that close now i think um in relation to um uh also camping where you're camping uh, unless there is no choice sometimes people are camping away from you or away from everybody else for a reason it could be that they're loud snorers uh, it could be that they have uh, a romantic night plan um, <laughs> uh, and really uh, they don't particularly want anyone else next to them. So I've, uh, when we went to Bhutan, uh, we were a group of um, around about seven or eight tents. There were, uh, everyone was camping fairly close to each other. Um, and again, the snoring, uh, you know, it would have been nice to have a bit more space. And, and I must admit that Jill's probably about to say... <laughs> That uh, uh, I, when I'm tired, very tired, I do snore and I know it. So there were several nights when we were in Bhutan, and I was about to share this story, um, where we had a tent to the left with a snorer, we had a tent to the right with a snorer, and I was in a tent with a snorer. And uh, of course, of course, of course, of course, um, as, as things go, they weren't all snoring at once, which actually would have been quite, you know, horrible. Um, they took it in turns and the entire night was taken up with someone snoring and me lying there thinking, oh, my goodness, I wish somebody would just stop. <laughs> um, okay, so, again, keep in mind that, you know, particularly if, if, if people aren't in your group, you don't want to come up to a campsite and put your tent up next to somebody else. It's okay if you're traveling together with a group, it's a bit different. But again, give people a bit of space and privacy. Um, camp in the designated campsites. 
Now, there are some sites or uh, sometimes sites will have tent platforms. Other sites will have existing campsites, which are very obvious. So on the Larapenta Trail, uh, which we previously mentioned, that um, there's a lot of rocks. So uh, people have gone through and cleared away rocks to go through and put their tents there. Uh, if there's a space there, use it. Don't continue to clear more and more space. It just alters the natural environment. Remember also to camp away from uh, the uh, water sources. Um, you drink water, uh, you need it, uh, so you don't want to go through and pollute it by being too close. And that's getting food waste, uh, toilet waste, um, or anything else. And sometimes, uh, particularly in some of the drier regions, um, it's not unusual for dry creek beds and riverbeds to flood and, and rise quite quickly. So again, it's another reason for staying away from, uh, uh, from water sources. If you are sleeping in cabins uh, or made shelters, some additional rules, rules also come into play. Um, some of these are really obvious. Uh, for those of us who've grown up in big families or lived in group houses, some of them might be uh, quite familiar, um, but unfortunately not everybody appreciates uh, that they exist. So the first one is don't move up other people's gear. This is an absolute no, no, no. Um, even if you're only going to shift them a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, just please, please don't do it. Um, mostly if people ask, uh, they will say yes, but to do it without asking, to do it without getting permission, it's just plain bad manners. So, you know, please, please, please think about that. Um, and I have to say, on the trail, that's the thing that drives me into an absolute orbit, um, uh, a, albeit a silent one um, that Tim tends to wear as we walk away. Um, but I just find it really, really, really rude. The next one is set up your gear um, for the night well before it gets dark. Okay, unless you happen to turn up to your shelter or the cabin late uh, and if you're sleeping inside, um, set up your bedding up early to minimise disturbing people um, who may already be asleep when you go to bed. Uh, we did have an experience on the overland track where a group of people were off, you know, having a good time, you know, watching the sunset, which is lovely, you know, and then in, enjoying the social environment um, amongst a group of hikers and uh, some people had already gone to bed and they came in reasonably late for hiking uh, in the dark and decided now was the time that they were going to set up their gear. And of course they were trying to do it in the dark. Um, no matter how quietly sometimes you try to be, you end up being much noisier than you would otherwise. Um, and it really just did disturb everybody. And I'm not sure if they realised how rude it was they probably thought everybody else was a bit rude by going to bed a little bit early but um, it's like that on the trail the other one is leave the shelter cleaner than you found it uh, there's always a broom to sweep the floor check that you have taken all your rubbish and that everything is back in its place ready for the next group of hikers uh, often in the morning when it's time to get up and go there's this mad rush to get away from the cabin or the hut. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's so that you don't be the last person and you don't have to sweep. 
Uh, everybody knows that the last person has to sweep. Um, but, you know, if, if you actually managed it a little bit differently, got all your gear out of the hut, packed up your, your pack uh, while you were outside or under a veranda or something like that, somebody else might be able to be inside sweeping um, and tidying up uh, and not be the last person to uh, get all the chores. The next one is keep noise to a minimum. Uh, when it gets dark, particularly when the cabin or shelter is small, it's time to drop your voices or stop talking altogether. Um, the term hiker midnight applies here. This is not the time to start unpacking um, or to get ready for tomorrow's lunch or tomorrow's snacks. Um, and, you know, we do have probably too many experiences where this has occurred. Uh, and then, you know, people are enjoying the environment and enjoying the social interaction. And then they discover that it's 9.30 or 10 o'clock and, oh, I haven't prepared for the next day. And there are a whole bunch of people who are already asleep. And, I, and as I said, I've, I've been guilty of this myself. I've uh, been, been talking to someone and, and lost track of time. Uh, and I have had people ask me to, to, to if they can, we can keep the noise down. And that's fine. If someone does that, I'll stop talking straight away and, uh, and let them get to sleep. The next one is, if you're a snorer, sleep outside. If local laws and conditions allow, uh, in your own tent. Uh, and sometimes that's a little bit difficult. So wherever possible, if you're a snorer, pitch a tent. Uh, if the weather's too bad or if there aren't sufficient tent sites, then you might have to sleep inside. Um, please, you know, warn people at the very least. Um, for others, uh, you know, if you're sleeping inside a shelter or a cabin, then you probably should be taking earplugs anyway um, just to accommodate some of the snorers that might uh, be in the group. The next one is don't take up excessive space in the kitchen. Cabins and shelters have limited space. Remember, there will often be other people using the facilities. So don't, over, don't take over a space and claim it as your own. Finish what you are doing in the kitchen and then pack up and allow others to take their turn. Uh, when we were on the overland track, we did arrive at a cabin and there was a group of uh, three or four people uh, even though there were a few others who, had, who were clearly also staying in the cabin who were off having a short walk or a side trip. Um, so this three or four group, group of people had just completely taken over every spare space in this cabin. And, you know, we arrived and we were thinking, gee, I'm not quite sure where we're supposed to be setting up dinner uh, not quite sure where we can sit, uh, not quite sure whether where we can take shelter from uh, the rain that was happening at the time. They eventually got the picture, but gee, you know, as soon as we turned up, it should have been a little bit more obvious to them. Okay, so these hiking rules of the road or hiking etiquette are probably the most common ones that, that people are either familiar with or that, that people really need to know. It's by no means a comprehensive list, um, but if you think about the common themes that we've gone through and talked about, these are they're essentially the two, they're essentially two takeaways from today's discussion as far as hiking etiquette on the trail, and those are do unto others. So 
treat people how you'd like to be treated and also protect the environment. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Tim. And I think, you know, consider others in the way in which you would like to be considered. And that old saying about, uh, you know, leave, leave only footprints and take only memories, I think is quite apt. Okay, that's all for uh, today's episode. Um, I hope you've uh, hope you've uh, learnt a bit or uh, been reminded a bit about the uh, proper etiquette on the trail. Um, just a reminder that uh, we we have now finished the last of our overland track uh, bonus episodes. So for the next uh, few weeks at least, or the next uh, month at least, we're back to our regular fortnightly schedule. Um, uh, as mentioned, uh, when we first started this podcast, the idea was to do uh, one bonus podcast per month. Um, but we've just uh, we've had a few a few this year from a number of hikes we've gone through and done. Um, next episode in two weeks' time is going to be technology on the trail, and specifically, we're going to look at personal locator beacons. Uh, how how effective are they, and should we be using them as hikers? Okay, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Um, as as usual, uh, you can download this episode uh, from our website, from SoundCloud. You can subscribe through iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Uh, and if you have an opportunity, please go through and rate us on iTunes as well. Bye for now. And bye from me.